I want to say a special hello to folks that are listening on the podcast. We uh, know that oftentimes people will check out the podcast before they show up here in person. So um, I tell you what, I'm way better looking on the podcast than I am in person, but we still want you to come anyway. Amen? There we go. That's, that's perfect. Thank you. I appreciate your agreement on that. Yeah, it's good. It's good. All right, for the rest of you, we are... <laughs> I heard that. That was funny. Uh, rest of you, we are in a, uh, a series of messages. We are walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we're calling this series uh, Luke, uh, Jesus for Everyone. And today, what I want to do, though, is I want to start by reading a passage from the Older Testament, um, which will intersect with where we're going this morning in Luke chapter 4. But the one I want to read is from the prophet Isaiah, and this is about 500 plus years before Jesus actually comes as the Messiah. And back when Isaiah lived, the people of Israel were under massive oppression from from other nations, and God sends them this word that we're going to read from Isaiah 61. He's going to send this word that is a reminder and a promise to them that one day, a deliverer, a Messiah will come. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. (laughs) Now, how many of you have heard that passage before? And for me, I have to be honest with you, that last line, the day of vengeance of our God, uh, for many years, it's been a little tricky for me because even though I know that when Jesus does come, he teaches us over and over and over to love our enemies, when I read this Old Testament line here, there's this little part of me that's kind of glad, you know, that it sounds like that maybe God's going to pour his vengeance out on the bad guys, or at least the folks, you know, that aren't like me that I like to see as the bad guys. Um, a little part of me that likes to think, you know, God's going to get them in the end. Now, if you've been around here at Hope for any length of time, you you probably know that I don't get up here and preach sermons at you because every week in my study and in the message, um, God's inviting me to interact with and look at what what he might be saying to me through the text or through the message that that I'm studying for. Um, So I'm in it with you. (laughs) Um, I'm in it with you every week, but especially this week. Um, Because this week I had to get really honest when studying this passage um, with the question, okay, so even even though I know better, who do I secretly or not so secretly hope that God's vengeance is going to be poured out on either now or one day? And so I started just, you know, writing a list and being honest about who I hope, you know, gets theirs and who it is that God takes vengeance on, you know, the people that who, who I hope that one day will get what they have coming. And I just kind of stuck to the big categories, you know, big groups, um, you know, people or groups that I think, um, in my opinion, are destructive or dangerous. Um, and even though, what was that? Chicago Bears? What? Yeah, that too. That was on the second list, but yes, that's, that's close. Packer fan, ba- ba- there could be problems right here. Ooh, I'm with you on that, by the uh, way. No, nope. Um, okay, sorry, where was I? Where was I? I? I was making a list, that's what I was doing, right? 
being honest, right, about this. And, and I stuck to, you know, kind of the big stuff, the big, huge kind of categories. Um, and <laughs> that list of big stuff actually got embarrassingly long, uncomfortably fast. Because uh, then I had to admit, you know, it's not just the big stuff. If I'm honest, I kind of want to see revenge uh, or vengeance of some level, maybe not as seriously, but uh, just on small stuff too, not just the big stuff. Because I could just get annoyed by really stupid things. And let me give you a few examples here. Um, stupid little annoying things. Like anybody, you go to the grocery store, and the person, you know the person, they, they kind of just leave their cart in the middle of the aisle so nobody can get past while they saunter over and kind of look at the cookie selection? Anyone? Okay, so a few of us, the rest of you, this is a notice. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're so sorry, <laughs> Husband is patting his wife up here. Um, you know, I have, you know, I've given a little thought to this while I'm waiting, maybe, uh, where I'm like, man, you'd just be amazing to have somebody writing, like, you know, tickets in the store. Like, ma'am, I'm citing you for a failure to be considerate to other shoppers, right? Just hand that out. That'd be kind of my little mini revenge scheme. Um, here's a pet peeve. I should have put, like, a diagram on the screen, because I discovered in first service, they were like, oh, you're not supposed to do that? Um, you know when you're turning, you have two lanes of traffic, and you're going to turn into two lanes of traffic, right? And then that person, like, they're in the near lane, but they decide they're going to swing out to the second. Anybody ever happen? Those of you that are not nodding, this is, this is true. Don't do that. <laughs> I have actually thought this several times. If I could be made a police officer for one day, one day, Chuck, I just one day... Maybe a month. I would, all I'd want to do is just write tickets for people driving like that, you know? Just that's my little revenge scheme on that. Um, well, a little closer to home. Anybody have feral cats in their neighborhood? I know I'm going to get in trouble with somebody here, but the feral cats, um, that neighborhood, we have, and I've heard other neighborhoods, have that, na that neighborhood lady who feeds the feral cats by going around, and there's these big electric boxes in the front next to the sidewalk. Well, one of those happens to be in our front yard, and so she leaves food for the feral cats on the electric box. These same cats who then make a mess of my yard and stink it up and do their business and sometimes go into the backyard and kind of spray things, right? Um, so my little kind of revenge scheme for that is that I'd like to shovel a trailer full of manure and then drive it to and deposit it in her yard, right? <laughs> That's not an overreaction, is it, at all? All right, okay, so the truth is I'm just too lazy to do that. Um, maybe my most serious kind of annoyances that I'd really like to like, see some revenge happen. You know Road Rage Dude? Because it's almost always a dude, right? Um, the guy that's out there, he's mad, and somebody apparently did something wrong, so he's like cutting people off in traffic. He thinks it's his job to use his road rage to teach other people a, a, a lesson. And you know what I mean, right? Yeah, okay, that makes me wish for a trunk monkey. Um, a trunk monkey. You're not familiar with a trunk monkey? It's been a little while if you haven't seen it. It's from a commercial way back. Check out, check out the commercial here, the trunk monkey. Who do you think you're honking at, huh? What, you don't like the way no, I drive? No, Why don't you no. come on in here? I'll give you a driving lesson. No. You want a piece of me? Why don't you come out and get you some, huh? Where are you going to go now? Well, you can't speed up by anybody now. You think you're better than me? Why you think? Oh, I don't like the way you drive. What, you got a fancy new bike? <laughs> huh? See? Ow! 
The Trunk Monkey, a revolutionary idea you'll only find at Suburban Auto Group, pending approval by Attorney General. All right, back in the trunk. A trunk monkey. Anybody with me on the trunk monkey, right? Road rage vengeance is mine, saith the trunk monkey. I'm all for that, right? Amen? And when I see a commercial like that, uh, my reaction is like, yes, that, that bully needs to get what he has coming. A little vengeance. Maybe that would teach him a lesson, right? Um, so that's just me, but I know that we all have annoyances, pet peeves, people or types or groups that just drive us nuts. Because honestly, it's not just things like, you know, the store, the grocery store, the feral cat lady, or, you know traffic, road rage, um, all those are important categories, but, but just think even larger categories of that. Who, who are you at odds with? Um, think of the people, maybe the groups that you strongly disagree with, maybe even ideas that they embrace that you are pretty sure, and maybe they are dangerous ideas, and those people become the other, they become the enemy, the, the people that we, we want them to get what they have coming, um, maybe even for them to get what we might think is God's vengeance when they go against you and yours. Because we all have them. And when that stuff happens, we kind of would like God to be our trunk monkey, right? We want vengeance for them. Yes, but not for me. No, 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 no. I want grace for me. And as we just even glance at the slide here with Isaiah 61 again, the whole passage there, we hear what Jesus is going to bring. Good news to the poor, the gospel. We're going to see broken hearts healed. We're going to see people being set free. We're going to see blind eyes healed, the favor of the Lord. We see that first part of it, and we're like, yes, I want all of the good stuff. I want all of that grace. I want that for me and for mine. And I love it that for them, there's a last line there that includes them, especially if they're the other side of us or they have wronged us or we see them as our enemy. We want them to see justice, our version of justice. We want vengeance. We want judgment on them. And if we're really good, finessed Christians, we might say, well, no, no, I mean, I'll let God handle the vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, so I'll leave the vengeance to him, but he better make sure that they get what's coming to them, right? And so, grace for me, vengeance for them, but again, we come back, remember this theme of the book of Luke is Jesus for everyone, and we kind of go, wait, 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 Jesus for everyone? Everyone? I mean, really, that's kind of troubling. And as today's story in Luke chapter 4 is going to show us, Jesus comes, he makes it really clear that Jesus is not their trunk monkey, and that grace is for everyone. And that Jesus has come to close the book on revenge. He closed the book on revenge. And that's good news, yes, for our enemies, but even better news for us. Because if we want to experience the fullness of the grace and the restoration that Jesus offers, we're going to have to let go of all notions or fantasies of revenge because you can't have both. You can't cling to, to revenge and live in grace. You can do one or the other. You can live in grace, you can cling to revenge, but you, you can't have both. 
And as we'll see in this episode of the life of Jesus, if we decide to cling to revenge, we run the risk of missing Jesus, and his presence will slip right through our midst. And here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is going to front, confront their and our tendencies to want grace for us and vengeance for them. So we'll pick it up here, Luke chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. Now, before we, there's time out here, before we hear what it is that Jesus read, um, I want to catch up with where we are in the story. Now, as you might know, many times in the scriptures, Jesus is called Jesus of where? Nazareth. So Jesus' hometown is Nazareth, and that's where he is right here. Now, right before this happens here uh, in chapter 4, uh, Jesus had just started his ministry. He's about 30 years old at this time. Um, in chapter 3, the previous chapter, he had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And then at the start of chapter 4, he went into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days. He faced down the temptations of the devil. We skipped over that story uh, because I just preached it uh, last fall. Uh, so we may come back to it, but I um, thought we'd just move past that one and go to this episode right here where Jesus returns from being baptized. And then this temptation, he's victorious over the devil. Devil, and it looks like something now is very different about Jesus. In fact, back in verse 14, just back up to verse 14, it says, Jesus returned after the temptation. He returned to Galilee, so the whole region, to return to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit has come upon him which we're going to look at again here after Easter. The Spirit came upon him. Something was different, and it says news about him spread through the whole countryside, all of Galilee, right? Verse 15, he's teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him, but again, time out, spoiler alert here, that's going to change dramatically by the end of this scene. Uh, he's going home to Nazareth, and what starts out pretty well is going to go sideways to the point that these good, nice religious people are going to try to kill him. Like, the Spirit has come upon him, but they haven't seen him now before this time. They haven't seen him before the Spirit is upon him. And now the Spirit's upon him. And here he goes in verse 16, back home to Nazareth. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Like, so everybody knows him. It's not that big a town. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Just pause there for a second. It sounds like Jesus made a practice a weekly practice of gathering to pray, to sing, to hear teaching, which, you know, as followers of Jesus, that's probably a pretty good practice as well. Um, it says, as was his custom, and he, he, he stood up to read. Verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So just hang on here. He finds what we now call Isaiah 61, the passage we started with today, this famous passage again that all of them would know. They would all know it. It's a passage of hope for their future where the Messiah one day will come and set all things right. In fact, just real quick, we'll put Isaiah 61 on the screen again. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That, right there, that's the original Isaiah passage. Got that one? Now, let's look back at Luke 4 and look at what Jesus actually read. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He specifically means himself because he has anointed recovery of sight for the blind. Like, by the way, that's all the things he's already been doing throughout Galilee before he got here to Nazareth. He's already been doing all that stuff. Next slide. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Did you catch the difference there? Claim the year of the Lord. Then rolls up the scroll, a.k.a. he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and he sits down. Claim the year of the Lord's favor. Closes the book. Now, again, they all know the verse, so they're all thinking, hey, Jesus, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. Hello? Right? See, they all knew the passage. It's a well-known passage. Um, today, it would be like if we were somewhere, somebody was singing the national anthem, or the land of the free, and then they just go, sit down, right? We'd all be like, <clears throat> dude, hello, like, and the home of the brave, right? The home of the, as we know, the rest of it. Brian Zahn, in his excellent book that I highly recommend, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, which has been very helpful in this message and some other study I've been doing, um, he mentions this. He says, it's, it's like Jesus edits Isaiah to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he leaves out and the day of vengeance of our God, and he closes the book. And again, I'm overemphasizing this because I want us to catch that he leaves out the vengeance part. And some people go, well, come on. Now, maybe just, you know, they didn't record everything that was going on. Like, did he really do that? Did Jesus really leave out the vengeance part? Was that really his intention? And yeah, I think he really did that. And was it his intention? Did he do that on purpose? Well, you be the judge. Because we're not done with the story. So let's keep going. The eyes of everyone, it says, in synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture, so this Isaiah 61 passage this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, you guys, I'm the one who's doing this. And it's not a far stretch that Jesus left out the vengeance part because he's saying this scripture is now fulfilled in him and he's not going to do it the way they expected him to do it. Next verse, verse 22, it says, All spoke well of him. We're amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And I want to pause for a second here, just offer a quick thought on this verse. Um, N.T. Wright, he actually translates it this way. He says, Everyone remarked at him. They were astonished at the words coming out of his mouth. Words of sheer grace. And N.T. Wright adds the clarification here. He says, sometimes people think that the whole, whole passage there about, you know, how they were astonished and marveled at his words, they, they think it simply means they were astonished at what a good speaker Jesus was. But 
Wright says it seems more likely that what Luke means is that they were astonished that Jesus was talking about God's grace for everybody, grace for everyone, including other nations, instead of just grace for Israel alone and fierce judgment for everyone else. And as you read the story, I think he's onto something here because the people were offended that Jesus was saying grace is for everyone, even for their enemies. We continue. Jesus said, verse 24, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. It's like he knows what they're going to say next, and he knows how it's going to go over. Verse 25, we'll just put it up on the screen. Jesus tells the first of two uh, popular, familiar stories from the Old Testament. Two stories from two respected prophets, uh, Elijah and Elisha. But these stories are subversive stories. These stories are really stories about God's subversive love for everyone, even our enemies. So listen with that ear. When you read it through the Old Testament, you know, the writer of these original stories, they told the stories, and I believe they left room to kind of see if people would connect the dots. So they were intended to be subversive. But Jesus here goes ahead and connects the dots, right? Here we go, verse 25. I'll just summarize it. This story, if you want to read the whole thing, it's in 1 Kings verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 17. 1 Kings 17, if you want to read the whole thing this week. But what Jesus does is he reminds the crowd. Hey, remember back in Elijah's time, there was this severe famine in Israel for three and a half years. There were many widows that were in terrible need during this famine. But who does the God of Israel send Elijah the prophet to to provide for? Not to one of the Jewish widows, but to the land of Sidon, outside of Israel, to a Gentile woman to provide for her. Again, this is a story they would all have known and loved. God's providing for someone who desperately was in need. It's an easy story to get drawn into. And even though it involves, you know, a non-Israelite, it's really hard, you know, to hate someone once you've heard their story, even if they're not one of us. So you kind of get drawn in. That's how it's subversive. So that's the first story. And then Jesus points to another story, this one from the prophet Elisha, and again, if the, this week, if you want to read the full story, it's in 2 Kings 5. This one's even more subversive. And again, Jesus is going to connect the dots here, and it's going to tick them off. Next slide. Verse 27. Again, I'll just summarize it with the scripture on screen. He's, he's saying essentially here to them, listen, there were lots of Jewish lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha. God didn't heal any of them. Who did God heal through Elisha? He healed Naaman, the Syrian, a non-Jew, a Gentile. Not just a non-Jew, but an enemy of Israel. In fact, Naaman was the commander of the enemy army. That's subversive. Zondigan points out, today it would be like saying that the God of Israel healed the commander of Hamas. So you can imagine how that goes over. So, Jesus tells right there, right, these two stories, subversive stories of two Gentiles from the Old Testament. He connects the dots, showing that who the heart of God extends grace to isn't limited by who the people in the crowd think it is. That the good news of Jesus is for everyone, even outsiders, even, take a breath, 
our enemies. And by the way, just to clarify, this is not a new thing that just started with Jesus. Like, loving and blessing other people or even our enemies. It's not this new teaching that God didn't start until Jesus came along. I mean, Jesus emphasized it, made it really clear. He connected the dots because apparently we didn't see it real well. But God has always, if you read through, through the Old Testament, God has always woven this theme into the fabric and story of his people. But I think most of them, and maybe most of us would miss it if Jesus hadn't come and connected the dots and fulfilled the scriptures. I mean, I love that he is subversive with this stuff. It's so genius because subversive stories win you over. Suddenly you find yourself cheering for the bad guy, right? The enemy. Unless it's your enemy. Because that desire for vengeance, especially the closer it gets to home, comes far too easily. Now, Allow me just to summarize these 12 verses uh, so far that we've looked at. Jesus in these 12 verses, he's essentially saying, I know, guys, I know, to his crowd, I know y'all love that part about the day of vengeance of our God, but I didn't read it. And I called that whole scripture fulfilled because my kingdom is for everyone. And then he's saying, I want to remind y'all of some things. All my hometown Nazareth folks here, I want to remind you that who God has grace for is everyone. And God cares about other people than just our tribe. Like in the time of Elijah when he provided for a Gentile widow and in the time of Elisha when he healed a Gentile enemy who was a leper. So that's the summary. And now did Jesus' hometown crowd get the point? Well, they got the point all right, and they hated it. Verse 28, and when they heard these things, right? So when Jesus points out and connects the dots of these subversive stories that they all knew and loved, when they heard these things, it says, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Some people love to talk about the wrath of God, right? Oh, now we've got wrath. They're filled with wrath, but is it the wrath of God? No, (laughs) it's not. See, here's the thing, friends. We have to be so careful about projecting human wrath upon God and calling it God's wrath. We have to be so careful. It's so easy to get sucked into or seduced into, well, I'm mad about this and it's wrong, so therefore God must be mad and I have a desire for vengeance upon them, so therefore God does too. Be careful. Be careful, because it's very easy to label our own wrath, the wrath of God, and then throw that out there to other people. Verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up, drove Jesus out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their Midst, he went away. I mean, y'all, he gets, they get, these good religious Jewish people get so mad that they tried to kill Jesus. And did they do it because he claimed to be the Messiah? Well, yeah, sure, yes, that's part of it. 
But I think also it's because he made these audacious claims about who God actually cared about, about who God's grace was for. Jesus right here, he's trying to free them from their obsession with revenge toward their enemy. But instead, they remain blinded by hate and decide that Jesus is now their enemy. Like they're so offended by Jesus rejecting vengeance for their enemies that they make Jesus their enemy. And instead of learning from Jesus to love their enemies, instead of stopping and going, wow, Jesus, this sounds really radical and difficult and hard. This is a new teaching that we might not understand. Will you teach us how to love our enemies? Instead of that, they say, no, 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 no. We are not going to learn to love our enemies. We're going to make you our enemy. And they try to throw him off a cliff. Isn't it just amazing how, how angry some people become if you try to challenge their religion of retribution or revenge? Lots of good Christian people will jump on that train of retribution if we think it's in our best interest or that that person or politician or army or whatever is on our side, then we're going to go for it. Retribution. We want retribution now. <laughs> Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. So, so often, friends, uh, in fact, I actually, actually, I think this story of Jesus here, it, it serves, I think, as a warning that, that any devoted religious person, even someone that would wear the label of Christian, any devoted religious person can be poisoned by this idea that God is on my side, he's against my enemies. Because that's the kind of thing that caused the people of Nazareth to drive Jesus out of their town and try to throw him off a cliff. And I think sometimes we run the danger of doing that, especially in the polarized political environment that sometimes Christians get caught up in where we're going to turn people into an enemy. And if we hear any teaching of Jesus that might conflict with whatever our side is trumpeting, um, we might not drive Jesus off the cliff, but he's just going to pass right through our midst. Just going to pass right by. See, it's so easy for us to want grace and freedom for me and mine, but judgment or justice or vengeance for them and theirs but Jesus came to close the book on revenge. And again, that's good news for our enemies, but it's even better news for us because if we hang on to notions or fantasies of revenge, we're gonna miss Jesus. His presence will slip right through our midst. Now for the next few minutes here, I just wanna turn our attention back to the reason Jesus did come. The, the, the mission that he announces in the synagogue, because it almost gets lost because of what happens after that and all this chaos. And in fact, next week, my plan is that we're going to focus in on that more fully. But, but again, remember, as Jesus is going to announce why he's come, uh, this is the start of his ministry. And here Jesus is declaring his mission when he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus announces here 
good news, restoration. He comes with good news to the poor. And while he does mean the financially poor, he also, I believe, means those of us who recognize that we are poor um, because without Jesus, we got nothing. We got nothing. Does that describe anyone here today? Do you, like me, know that without Jesus, you would be destitute and hopeless? Because if so, Jesus has good news for you. He has come to bring you all the grace you need. How about freedom? Anybody here in need of freedom? Anybody easily able to recognize areas in your life where maybe you feel captive or imprisoned? Maybe areas of physical or emotional or spiritual oppression? Things where you sometimes look at these struggles where you can't get free. You're like, I can't get free. This thing has always won. I'll never get free from that. If that's you, there's good news. Jesus says right here that he's come to set you free. How about blindness? Do you have any areas of blindness where you can't figure it out? Maybe you can't just see a way forward. Maybe things are just confusing or murky. You don't know what to do. Well, Jesus offers to shine his light, to restore your sight, and to make all things new. Because his favor, it's here. And it's for you, and it's for me. The grace of God is available for you right now in Jesus. But as this story at the launch of Jesus' ministry points out, friends, we cannot step into all this good stuff that's available. We can't step into the fullness of his grace and power and restoration. We can't pick that stuff up if we are clinging to notions of revenge and hatred for our enemies. We, we can't cling to grace for us and vengeance for them. Again, Jesus is not a trunk monkey because grace is for everyone. Jesus came, he closed the book on revenge because Jesus is for everyone. And again, I'm gonna say it again, that's good news for our enemies Better news for us, because if we want to experience the fullness of the grace Jesus offers, we're going to have to let go of revenge so we can pick up grace, because you can't have both. You can live in grace or cling to revenge, but you can't have both. And if we cling to revenge, we're going to miss Jesus. His presence is going to slip right through our midst. But his restoration, his power, his amazing grace, it's available. It's all right there. It's all yours to receive. We simply are invited to lay down all the stuff that we're clinging to and grasping onto so that our hands will be open to receive the grace that we need. For we direct our hearts to the communion table, I want to get real specific for a moment with just a question and an invitation. First, the question, what person or group am I tempted to want God's vengeance to fall upon? What person, what group am I tempted to want God's vengeance to fall upon? 
I was gonna give examples, but I'm pretty sure that most of us know pretty quick right away. What person, what group am I tempted to want God's vengeance to fall upon? Got one? Okay. Now here's the invitation. What would it look like to follow Jesus into learning to love your enemy? What would it look like to follow Jesus into learning to love that enemy? And we're just going to take a moment. Holy Spirit, we speak to us. May we have ears to hear, eyes to see. Would you speak to us on what it would look like to follow you, Jesus, into learning to love that enemy? Just take a moment. Worship team, will you come? In a moment, we're going to move toward the communion table. Um, and I just want to, for a second here, just give some logistics about how it is that we come to the table here at Hope. Um, as Heidi mentioned earlier, we have open communion, and so um, every church does communion differently. And um, if you're new to Hope Covenant, um, we want you to know you don't have to be a member at our church. You don't have to have been baptized here or even baptized uh, at all yet. <laughs> um, anyone who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to partake of communion with us um, this morning. And um, this is a, kind of a cool thing. That sometimes people, um, they're on that journey uh, of deciding to follow Jesus and maybe you're on that journey, and um, some folks decide to take that first step of saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus by coming to and receiving communion for the first time. And so if that's you, you too, please come. Um, you are welcome at uh, the table, the communion table. Um, what we're going to do is um, you'll go to one of these two stations up front, and we'll serve you. And we, we do this differently sometimes, so... Uh, hold your elements, just take them back with you to your seat. We're going to sing a song after the song. I'll come up and lead us in receiving them all together. Um, and I want to read um, Romans 5, verse 10. Romans 5, 10 says this. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And Hope Family, the first part of that just really grabs me. See, listen, Jesus didn't just talk a good game about loving our enemies. He actually did it. Like by all rights, he could have responded to the human beings who nailed him to the cross with wrath and with vengeance. Jesus didn't wait for us to get it right before he extended grace. We're seeing right here that that we were still acting like God was our enemy, even as Jesus willingly laid down his life. See, Jesus declared the good news of the gospel, kingdom that he came to bring, good news for the poor, opening blind eyes, setting people free, announcing the favor and the grace of God for all of us. He declared that it had finally come. He closed the book on vengeance 
But he didn't just close the book on vengeance and then go get revenge later. No, he closed the book on vengeance. And then when he could have sought revenge, instead he offered love. He extended love. He demonstrated how far he would go in loving enemies by willingly giving his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out. And he did it all for you, for me. He did it for love. Will you stand? I'm gonna pray and then you can come receive at the table. Jesus, as we come, may we come with hearts that make room for you to transform us into people who are willing to love others as radically as you say and demonstrate is possible. Jesus, you invite us to lay down vengeance and revenge, to lay down our own misguided ideas about how to treat our enemies. And as we receive your body and blood this morning, will you continue to transform us, heal us, free us, helping us by your spirit to do that now, to lay down everything that gets in the way and to make room for grace, for your amazing grace. As we sing, come to the table and receive. <laughs>